$21 million. Now, in a room this size, there's got to be somebody out there saying, ooh, that's not enough. It's so limiting. Right? And I would just say, although we're not talking about greed today, um, just let that come up. It's a safe place, and we can deal with that later. But for the rest of you, $181 million is, is a lot of money. What would you do? If you won it and you were told that you have to give some of it away, I believe most of you would respond, you don't even have to ask. It's a given. It's more than enough money for me. I'd certainly love to give some away. Here's one idea I heard and I liked it. And so this is what I would do. I think you'll like it too. On a communion Sunday, I would have the ushers come up. And they would hand out everybody a piece of paper and, and a pencil. And I'd have you guys all write down and total up all your debts. And then during the communion time, when you came forward for the drink and the bread, I'd be sitting at a table. You could hand in your piece of paper. And I would just write you a check. I would love that. It's a great idea. And I know there's some here who would write down future debts. And I would know, and I'd still write the check. If you had $181 million, think of how much good you would be capable of doing. Think of how much fun you could have just giving it away. With that kind of money, you could change lives. Make a huge difference in someone else's life, and chances are it would change your life too. Now, God may not have given you $181 million, but he has given you something. And that something he's given can be used to bless others and to do good. And the difference you can make with what he's already given you might not be able to be measured in dollars and cents, but it has the potential to be measured in years. So you have been chosen. You've been handpicked. You've been selected to bear fruit, fruit that will last. The fruit of your goods works has the potential to change lives and make a difference not for millions of years, but for eternity. Matthew, it says, you are the light of the world. A town built or a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, your good works are intended to glorify God. Your good works are intended to show the world that God is real and what He's really like. They're intended to make God visible, to make God known. You, as you are, with what you already have, without $181 million, are capable through doing good to change lives forever. This is the potential that each of us has, regardless of your successes and failures, regardless of your bottom line or your talents or your skills, regardless of your capacity, setbacks, limitations, or whatever personality you've been stuck with or blessed with. Each of you, as you are with what you already have, are capable through doing good 
to make God visible and to make God known. And if that's possible, that's reason enough then to do good and to let your light shine so that people will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven and maybe come to know your Father as their Father. So today is part of this series on doing good, learning to become a community on mission. And this morning I want to share with you just simple ways, really simple ways that you can let your light shine before others by going as you are with what you already have and doing good with it. Now let's start by looking at the verse already mentioned. It says, in the same way, in the same way, let your light shine before others. In the same way that a town built or a city is set on a hill can't be hidden. See, you are to let your light shine before others that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the same as a town built or a city set on a hill. You have been placed strategically like a city set on a hill in order to be visible, to make God visible. So where have you been set? Acts 17, 26 says that God began by making one man. And from him he made all the different people, all the different nations who live everywhere in the world. And he decided exactly when and where they would live. See, in the same way that a town is built or a city set on a hill, I want you to think of all the planning and strategizing and all there is to consider when building a town. Where the streets will go, where the roads and the sewer, all the different zoning. In the same way God has planned and strategized and taken into consideration all things. Who you are, your race, when you'll be born, when you and where you are to live and who is to live around you. God began with one man. And from that one man, he made different people and has decided exactly where they will live, when and where they will live. You have been set. You have been placed at your current address at this specific time in history. And so have your neighbors. And it's on purpose to let your light shine before others. See, you're there and I'm not because the light your neighbors need to see is the light that shines through who you are and what you already have. Another helpful scripture is found in 2 Corinthians 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that uh, displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. See, while God is at work, through your good works to display who he is and what he's like, Satan is at work blinding the world so that they cannot see Christ. It goes on and continues, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not ourselves. Okay, so you don't need $181 million. You don't have to wait until you have more resources or more knowledge or more time to get all your stuff together. It's Christ in you and it's his light in you that shines out of who you are and what you already have. False 
weaknesses, struggles, and all. Christ's light is in you, in a jar of clay. And you're not perfect, but you're broken. And his light shines uniquely through your cracks and reveals who God is to those around you. You are set. You've been strategically placed where you live to shine for Jesus. Now, personally, I think that I've always seen God as being the one who strategically set me where I lived. But I haven't always seen myself sent to where I live. For the longest time, I saw my neighborhood and my street like a hallway to drive through on my way to and from where I need to go. Whether it's driving or walking, at times I've, I've seen my neighbors as inconvenience. I've seen them as just an awkward situation because I can't remember their name. I remember once walking down the road and not seeing a neighbor, but seeing an obstacle to a well-deserved break. Right? I need some rest and you're in my way. That's all I'm thinking. However, over time, slowly but surely, God has changed the way I see myself and my neighborhood. Do you know what a missionary is? Defined from the dictionary, it's a person sent on a religious mission, especially one sent to promote Christianity in a foreign country. Mission. A group of persons representing or working for a particular country or business, etc. in a foreign country. Do you know any missionaries? The names of any missionaries that have been sent out besides Garrett and Rebecca from Hillside. I'm looking at a room full of them. See, the Bible is clear that this is not our home. Yes, he has decided exactly when and where you would live, but this is not our home. We are foreigners here. Peter says to live out your time here as foreigners in reverent fear. In Hebrews, it talks, this is the talks about all the great men and women of faith, and it says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they are, are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared a city for them. And then Paul says, uh, and he just states clearly in Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. We're citizens of heaven. You see, we are missionaries. Right where we live, because we're in a foreign land, this is not our home. See, God's plan from the beginning was to create a place that we could call home and could live with Him and enjoy Him forever. He didn't create the garden uh, just for Adam and Eve. He didn't create this amazing home for them where God could walk with man in the cool of the day in such a personal, face-to-face way and just intend it for them. No, He wanted to share Himself in that place with their children and their children's children. And so he commanded them to be fruitful and multiply. His heart was that they would go and make a family 
as big as possible and that every child would have the opportunity to come to know him and his love and live with him forever. But we know how the story goes. Man chose to believe a lie that we could be more satisfied and that life could be more fulfilling apart from God. We chose our ways and we rejected his ways. We were separated from him, kicked out of our home, and no longer could experience the close relationship that we were created to enjoy. So God sends Jesus, his only son, as a missionary on mission to redeem and restore us back to the Father so that his children could come back home. See, his plan hadn't changed. And I don't know if you remember, but after Jesus was resurrected, he said to his followers, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then, of course, in the Great Commission, he says to go. Go, make disciples of all nations. Go, be fruitful and multiply. Go, increase the number of my family, because God wants a big family made up of all nations. See, God wants his kids to come home, and there's a beautiful glimpse of this in Revelation 5, where every tongue, tribe, and nation are home with God around the throne. It's beautiful. See, you have been strategically set where you live. And you have been sent there, sent out to continue the mission to go as you are with what you already have. And in doing so, you're capable, just through doing good, making God visible and known, and to call his children back home. Just before I get into some ways that you can go about letting your light shine before others, one more verse is important to note. I'm not sure it'll be up there, but it's, uh, it's a popular one. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship. We are God's handiwork. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to walk in. This isn't about just going about randomly and doing good. It's about recognizing where God is already at work, everywhere, even before you and I show up. However, I want to be clear that God knows where and when you are going to show up, and he wants to take who you are and what you've already been given and help you see the good works that he's prepared for you. Now, a simple way that God often uses to get his people to cooperate with him and to really engage in the good works that can lead to making him known is to go, see, feel, and do. And these are four words that I just want you to remember today. Go, see, feel, and do. You have to go somewhere, see something, feel something, and do something about it. Today, Wally, he saw something. He saw a total. He felt something, and he had to do something about it. Whether we like it or not, he had to do something about it. <laughs> Truth is, I actually really liked it. I really did. Some biblical examples of this is Nehemiah. He goes to Jerusalem. He sees the walls torn down. He feels devastated. And what does he do? He prays and he comes up with a plan and God uses him to initiate the rebuilding of the city walls. See, God used who he was and what he had to do a really good work. Paul, he goes to Athens, or Athens, uh, sees the idols and idolatry. He feels disturbed. He has to do something. He preaches and teaches and sees conversions. 
God used who he was and what he had, a great understanding of the gospel. And then there's David who goes to visit his brothers. He was sent there by his dad and he sees the enemy taunting God's people. And he feels indignant and he has to do something. And so he kills the giant. See, God used who he was and what he had to do good and to make him known. A turning point for me, and I've said this here before, was I was going for a walk up my road and I saw a car coming towards me. It was a neighbor who I don't know very well. And as I saw him, I knew that as I crossed, he was going to pull in the driveway at the same time and chances were really good that he was going to get out of his car and right, it was just kind of set up that I had to say something. And I did. I kind of felt annoyed. I felt dread. And all I wanted to do was increase the pace or slow down, whatever, right? Just to avoid that. Fortunately, and all glory to God, the garage door opened. <laughs> That's right. And he drove in and it closed. And honestly, man, I felt relieved. And I also felt convicted. And it got me thinking what am I doing? And it actually caused me to repent. And I began praying, God, help me see what you see. Help me feel what you feel. I don't want to see people as obstacles to my personal freedom. And so I started to go differently. I began to see myself as sent. And I live across from my boys' school, and there's over 400 kindergartens to fives. And this is me and my wife's mission field. And so I'm always going to school. And I'm always seeing the same thing. Kids playing and parents in their normal groups. And so I decided one day not to engage in, in what I normally do, but to stand alone. And so I went there and I stood alone and I was shocked at what I felt. I was so insecure. For whatever reason, I felt really insecure, like I stood out like a sore thumb. And so I immediately needed to do something about that. So I reached into my pocket for my phone to begin texting. And I stopped. And I stood there. And I realized that I just see through my own eyes. And it makes me feel insecure. God, help me see what you see. Help me feel what you feel. And honestly, I'm, I'm convinced he was there the whole time. But this black dude showed up. <laughs> he was sitting there the whole time. And I turned and I finally saw him. Instead of being so self-conscious, I was now God-conscious, and I saw a man. And I had a heart for him immediately. And I just said, hello. And he talked for 30 minutes straight just sharing his story. He actually had earphones in, right? But I knew he didn't want to be there just, just hiding like everybody else. That simple prayer, God, help me see what you see. Open my eyes is actually really important. Because it's often when we begin to see through his eyes that our hearts are open to feel his heart. And you might see something and feel sad or anger or hope. But this is where the Holy Spirit can begin to burden you. And it, begin, and it, and it can be the beginning of some sort of good that he wants to do. And he's preparing you and he's already preparing good works for you to do. 
See, this little encounter with the man on the playground began a deep burden in me to connect more with the people around me in meaningful ways. I no longer wanted to continue to avoid people, but I started wanting to to look for natural ways to intersect with them so that I could simply bless them by listening to them. Because it was clear how much it meant to this young man just to sit there and listen to him. And I was there as I am with what I got, the ability to listen well. You might not have that ability, and so you'd be at that park doing something else. So this burden began to grow in me, and Chris and I were able to go on sabbatical, and we ended up going to Anacortes, and we were there just resting, and we ended up uh, being at a bed and breakfast where the man told us that, hey, every single Tuesday, right up the road, there's this man who owns a house, and then he's got this bare lot. And every Tuesday, everybody just goes there for a potluck. And so you're welcome to come. And he said, on the property, you'll know which property is because there's this flag. And if the flag is, is at the top, it means there's whiskey. So just come on in. If, if, the, <laughs> if, the, uh, if it's at half mass, it's like, hey, we're running low. If it's at the bottom, it's like, you don't come without whiskey. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I like that. We didn't end up going, but we both felt this is, this is something that we would maybe like to do. We came home, and we just kept it in our hearts. We began talking with other people and hearing the same idea, this longing to connect and to have a place and a time. Clearly, this wasn't just our idea. See, we were seeing that God was preparing people by moving on their hearts as well. So last summer, we began Party in the Park. We live again across from the school. So every Sunday from 5 to 7, we just go there as a family. We decide we're going there as a family to have a picnic and just to play. I believe Krista emailed a bunch of people uh, that she knows, and it's just been a really fun, relaxing time. Um, We started, I guess, in the summer, so July and August, and sometimes there's 20 people, sometimes there's, there's 50 people. And one weekend, we planned a a camping trip to Whistler. We just told our boys, hey, we're going to be heading to Whistler or whatever. We're excited. And they're like, are we going to miss Party in the Park? And said, yeah. And they said, we can't miss Party in the Park. And so we canceled the camping trip. And and we stayed there just doing what we're doing. And the really cool thing is that just over this last month, We've had so many people come up to us and just ask, hey, when is this starting again? They're suggesting we shouldn't wait till summer. And um, the really cool thing is, uh, one of the ladies that was there often last, last year uh, just said, hey, when are we starting again? There's some new people in the area that just want to connect, and I've told them about this. And they're really looking forward to it. And last night, um, I was kind of confused about what I was going to share, so I went for a walk and I ended up uh, seeing a neighbor who's kind of up on the hill, and they've just moved in six months ago. And so there was that conflict, right? It's like, oh, <laughs> i got to live this. So it was kind of funny because I went by, and uh, the lady was out at the curb, and I said, hey, how you doing? You just move in? And she's like, actually, no, um, I don't live here. I'm just visiting. So I'm thinking, oh, great, I'm going, you know? <laughs> but then she's like, hey, but you can go in and introduce yourself. And it's like all the way around. So I was like, ah, whatever. So I went up uh, to the door, took some time out, some precious time, 
And I was able to just be in Jesus, and it was great. And I just, at the end of the conversation, I just said, hey, guess what? Uh, there's something we do, a uh, party in the park. And she's like, hey, I've already heard about it, and we're looking forward to coming. I'm going to call Krista up, <laughs> and uh, she's just going to share a little bit um, about her story and how this is manifesting in her life. Good morning. For those of you who don't know, I'm this guy's wife. And unlike Marty, it's really natural for me to connect with people. That's something that God's put in my hand. Marty's an introvert, so he's more geared towards avoiding people. (laughs) And I'm an extrovert, so I'm more geared towards bothering people. And getting into their life as deeply as they'll possibly let me. So um, different people with different strategies. So Marty's like, hey, let's just invite a few friends to this party in the park. And I'm on email with everyone's email addresses that I possibly know, inviting the entire neighborhood. So that is one of the ways that we work really well together. Um, When I was 18 years old, 19. I was in college, and I somehow got my hands on a map of Africa, and I got a heart for Africa. I had never been there. I was crying. That was a soggy map. I did a lot of praying and crying, and for some reason, I just had this huge heart for this place that I had never been, Um, and I prayed through all of my college years over that map of Africa. Um, So I had a heart for it, praying only. Um, After many bad relationships, I just decided I'm going to be a single missionary to Africa. Never mind marriage, children, all of that kind of stuff. But then I met Marty. And he was pretty persistent, so I married him. (laughs) With the prerequisite that he was willing to move to Africa. And as lovely as he is, he said, if there's people in Africa, I'll move there because people are so important to him. So, um, so I, we got married, and um, I've had the opportunity to go to Africa three times for about three weeks each time. And every time I hit the tarmac and I step out onto the street, it's just like I'm home. It's the weirdest thing. But because I've been praying for Africa and loving Africa, and it's been in my heart for so long, it feels like home to me. Um, However, as you can see, I'm not in Africa right now. I am not a single missionary there. And there was a lot of adjusting and disappointment along the way to give up that dream, which was my dream. God gave me a heart to pray for Africa, but maybe not the call to live there. Um, So on my last trip, I had a sense that it was my last trip for a long time. I don't know what that all means. Um, But so I said to God, why? Why? Why give me this heart and then make me live in North America? Because I haven't really enjoyed living in North America. A lot of people love it here, and it fits who they are, but I've always felt a little bit, like, off while I've been in North America. And I love the community and the simplicity of of how people live in mostly rural Africa. Um, So on my last trip, I said, God, why? Why do I have to go back there and... um, and he said, because I know you don't like it. 
<laughs> and I know that you won't change. I'm very stubborn. <laughs> and so um, as much of North America that's in me, there's also this, no, I want like a simple life and I want deep community. And, and I'm drawn to that um, in Africa. So I said, okay, God, fine. So I was complaining to Sandra Reardon about not being able to be in Africa. And she said, oh, Krista. She yelled at me lovingly, the only way Sandra Reardon can. And she said, Krista, open your eyes. Look outside your house. Walk up your street. <laughs> You're called here. This is your mission field. Never mind Africa right now. <laughs> you have children. So I was like, oh, and I was mad and offended and <laughs> eventually got over it. And I just said, yeah, God, you have. You've called me to my neighborhood. And all the scriptures that Marty shared today He's planted me here right now, who I am with this love of throwing parties and this ability to connect. And there's been a thing going around on Facebook lately about Vancouver being the most unhappy city in Canada. Uh, Lori always debunks these things, but she looked and it's actually a legitimate um, statement that we are the unhappiest place in Canada. And as I read the article, the thing that popped out to me was we're friendly, but we don't connect. We have acquaintances, but we don't have deep relationships. And that causes people to be unhappy. We're more unhappy than Winnipeg. <laughs> That's crazy. So I've always loved building community. In fact, um, God blessed us with the ability to buy a house with Brian and Lori Allward. Wave. So um, we live separately, but we share the yard, and we do life together in uh, different ways. And uh, so when we first moved to our new place with them uh, six years ago, we started having block parties and um, introducing ourselves to neighbors and getting to know one another. Um, so <clears throat> that's kind of how that started, but my heart was still in Africa. My prayers were still focused on Africa. My money, time, energy, and hopes were still focused on Africa. Um, but as I began, you know, Sandra confronted me, and then as I began praying for my street, I got a heart for my street, and I started wanting to invest my time and energy and money into the relationships that are here in North America on my street where God has planted me. Um, so God put me where I am and gave me what I have to glorify him. So things like party in the park and block parties and connecting with our neighbors. But um, like he said, everybody is different and everybody is going to connect with their neighborhood or their neighbor the way they are geared, the way God has made them. Not everyone in here is called to throw a party in their neighborhood. That's just what I like to do, so that's what I do. Um, but some simple ways, like Marty was talking about, our street being just a place to get somewhere else that we're going, I started noticing things like um, one time I had a neighbor who was hauling dirt with a sled into her backyard. And I was like, that's ridiculous. So I rolled down my window and I said, hey, do you need a wheelbarrow? She's like, no, I don't have a wheelbarrow. I said, no, do you need one? Because <laughs> that looks painful. And, uh, and she was just like, well, sure. So I walked up there with a wheelbarrow simple. That's what I had. I had a wheelbarrow. I saw a need and I offered it to her. It cost me nothing but like five minutes of bringing her a wheelbarrow, right? Um, how much time do I have? <laughs> really? 
That's awesome. Okay, so I'll just start pulling stories out of my back pocket. Um, some of you know that just over a year ago, I lost my mom, and I was in a season of real grief. I love the scripture Marty shared about being clay pots with cracks in them. Um, <clears throat> we're not put on the side just because we're in a painful, hard situation. Those cracks actually let the light of God shine out of us all the more. If we're willing to be authentic in front of people, if we're not trying to put on a plastic mask in front of our neighbors and be good Christians or something like that, if we're willing to just do life with people in our neighborhood, that light's going to shine through everything. You have a sore back, the light can shine through to your chiropractor. God can use that. He can use assets and he can use disabilities. Um, Anyways, Lori also went through a major loss, and shortly after that, our neighbor next door to us also went through a major loss. She lost her husband, so we lost a neighbor. It was a horrible, horrible season. I felt like I was walking around in a fog, like I hardly had enough for my family, but one thing that I was doing is mowing my lawn. You still have, it still grows. <laughs> you still have to mow your lawn, and so as I was out mowing my lawn, and my neighbor had just lost, um, her husband, I just kept mowing. And I took that on as my job through her season of grief as something that I could do to bless her, to help her. Lori did different things. She was able to offer food and stuff. I was having a hard time feeding my family, so I was like, I'm not making anyone else food right now, but I can mow the lawn. Um, The other thing for her was just hugging. She just needed a good hug every once in a while. So when I saw her, I would just take that moment and let her sink into me and, and cry. And uh, that was something that I could do for her. Um, now, building neighborhoods and you know, investing in your community and engaging, um, that's all wonderful and stuff, but it's also really challenging. There's those awkward moments that Marty talked about, but also um, there's, we had a new neighbor. You know you have a new neighbor because there's this for sale sign that goes up on their lawn, and then it comes down. <laughs> so all of us know when there's a new neighbor in the neighborhood. One of the things that I've tried to do is bring a basket or bring a gift or baking or something to welcome them to the neighborhood. So when we got this new neighbor up the street, um, we were on sabbatical. We were home for one day, but I quickly made a card and went up there with this basket, um, dropped it off, made an initial connection, um, and a friendship started. Um, within, you know, a few months, we started realizing, oh, their marriage is in crisis. Like, I don't know if these guys are going to make it. They started, t- uh, the husband started talking to Marty about it. The wife started talking to me about it. And eventually he started going out of town. While he was out of town, a car was showing up in front of the house. And we started realizing while he was out of town, she was having an affair what do you do? (laughs) So awkward. You've started this friendship with these people in your neighborhood. The husband doesn't know. The wife is, you know, clearly living this double life. And we had a heart. You know, same strategy. Pray, right? We had no idea what to do but we knew how to pray, and we just started praying for this family. There was kids involved. You could see the kids escalating. Obviously, that's really confusing for them, being in that situation, and so we just started, like, investing in the kids, blessing the kids, having these conversations. Um, Marty eventually felt like he needed to just bring her a note and say, 
look, if you don't tell him, I feel like I have to as his friend. And um, then I followed up with a conversation and said, have you had a chance to talk to him about your choices? Um, and ca how can we help you? How can we sit down and counsel and walk through this with you and help your marriage survive? And, uh, and she said, why do you guys even care? It's such a normal part of our culture that it's just like, turn a blind eye. Why do you even care? And we we're like, we can't help it. We really care about you guys, and we want to see your marriage survive, and we know that it can't happen this way. Um, yes, I'm getting the nod that I'm done. <laughs> um, so there's challenges like that, too. When you start getting involved in people's lives, you start getting involved in the mess, too. But thankfully, we've got God, and we can lean on his spirit. We can pray, and he can give us strategies. We now have the challenge of seeing her around with her boyfriend all the time. And how do we love her with the choices she's made and love the husband who's been left in our neighborhood and love this new boyfriend because we're called to love all, right? So um, what do you have in your hand? What can you do? What step can you take to connect a little bit more where God has already clearly put you and know that he's equipped you with everything that you need to do what he's calling you to do? Thank you. I'm going to call... I'm going to call up the, uh, the worship team at this time. And as they come, I um, just want to remind you that becoming a community on mission isn't just about going around doing good, finding a good mission, but it's actually joining his mission. It's about us paying close attention to where God is already at work, where he is moving, and how he is moving in us so that we can just naturally respond as we are with what we already have. I just want to close with this verse. I've already read it, but I, but I love it. It's Acts 17, 26, and I'm going to read the, read the verse right behind it. Um, he decided exactly where and when they would live. But the next verse says that God wanted people to look for him. And perhaps in searching all around for him, they would find him but he is not far from any of us. See, you have been strategically set where you live and sent out to let your light shine so that people who are searching might find him. Through doing good, you are capable of showing your neighbors that God is not far from them, but a lot closer than they think.